Authors on the Air. Welcome to Authors on the Air. I'm Terry Shepard. Elizabeth Crowens and I share two common passions, Sherlock Holmes and time travel. Both return in A War in Too Many Worlds, her latest what-if thriller, where Elizabeth again melds history and science fiction into a fascinating third installment in her time travel professor series. Real people and actual events, the stars in these stories. If you love reading Jack Finney, Watching Rod Taylor and George Pal's The Time Machine, Malcolm McDowell in Time After Time, or were hooked on Irwin Allen's Time Tunnel TV series, you will feel right at home in Elizabeth's world. You'll find that time stands still as you turn the pages and enjoy the roller coaster plot, the only disappointment arriving when you reach the final moments of this extraordinary story and want more. Before we bring on our guest, here's a taste of book three in the Time Travel Professor series. A war in too many worlds. My mind lurched back in time during one of our nightly raids on the Western Front. From out of nowhere, our company was under attack and we were showered with bullets. My fellow comrades fell left and right, and yet the worst was yet to come. Then it was almost as if someone gave me magical glasses or a peculiar lens which allowed me to see the spirits of these dying soldiers ripped right out of their bodies. Empathetically, I experienced their pain. Tortured, angry ghosts haunted the battlefield, wandering and confused as to why and what had just happened. Memories returned. It was no different now. Elizabeth Crowens, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I think if Lee Strasberg taught method writing, you would probably be one of the instructors. How do you write such great immersive fiction? Oh, gee. Uh, well, I do an enormous amount of research. And I actually went to the Western Front. I've made multiple trips to Europe. And you know, my feeling is immerse yourself in the location. That, and in fact, that helps, actually, because uh, I actually had to rewrite a lot of stuff. I had a scene in book two, A Pocket Full of Lodestones, where um, a uh, German um, artillery shell hit a, a barn, a farmhouse, and the uh, platoon unit was going to check and forage to see if there was any personal survivors, and I described this as a wooden barn with um, smoldering fires. And uh, my tour guide in, in Belgium, who led me all over Belgium and France, all over the Western Front, said, there's no way in the world you would have a farmhouse that would be several hundred years old that would be made out of wood. It would rot. He said, you would, it would be made out of stone or brick. And of course, I grew up in the Midwest. To me, barns were made out of wood. Right. <laughs> I was just, you know, writing from what I knew and not in Belgium. And of course, things have changed over 100 years. But uh, to go over to the actual locations and just kind of get a feeling of what your characters could have gone through. 
and walk the streets and look at the architecture and look at the smells and look at the vegetation and get a feel for the climate. How do you get inside the heads of people that have been dead for so long? You read a lot about them. I guess you just visualize almost time traveling to where they are and getting a feeling as to what could have happened. Obviously, I watch a lot of movies that obviously were not filmed back then, but I also do watch as many as I can. Uh, you know, back then they would have been silent films. But um, I uh, just study a lot of these, you know, people inside and out. And also, um, you know, again, read, I read a lot of books of, written during that period of time. So you get it from the point of view of an actual person who maybe knew these people or their way of speaking. But I'm also quite a bit of an antiquarian book collector. So when I go over to Europe, I usually ship a few cases of books back that I can't find here. I actually got lucky. I found a Scottish dialect dictionary from like 1849 in an antique store. And, uh, and it wasn't even that expensive. And when I found it and bought it, I was like looking, I, I knew I'd never find one here. When I purchased it, the woman said, you know, these are really rare. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, they're hard to find in Scotland. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I got lucky, you know, that I found it. So uh, you've got to be able to take the gist of that stuff and then translate it for a modern audience because for Asylum Meridian, I'm actually on my third edition of that because I'm working with a new editor now. And she said, don't use the ink, the British Victorian spellings. I think that was throwing a lot of readers off. All the three books have a certain editorial consistency. I would get like these reviews sometimes on Goodreads and said, you spelled whiskey wrong. <laughs> right. W-H-I-S-K-Y. You know, that's the Scottish way of spelling it. And my protagonist was Scottish and Victorian. Americans spell with an E. So yeah, there were little adjustments I had to make. Victorians, I hate to say it, were incredibly bullied. And lots of passive voice. <laughs> yeah, passive voice was not a bad thing in Victorian England, no, was it? No, it wasn't. So uh, it, it's a fine line you have to tread when you're when you're writing fiction in that time period. I'm a combination of a plotter and a pantser. So, uh, but I, I probably plot more than the average person because I I do work with the timeline, and I'm very particular about like trying to figure out like. Uh, where was Houdini in 1918? Towards the end of his life, Conan Doyle traveled a lot. So I actually had a situation where I knew he was going to spend like an entire year in Australia. And I was ready to say, well, I can't have him having lunch at the Savoy. <laughs> right. He can't he be in this scene. <laughs> pick up his biography, right? And say he was in Australia on a spiritualist mission that year. That is false. So I am very, very careful to do real timelines of everybody and then put people in consumable situations where they could have been in the same place at the same time. Within all of that context, every so often you back yourself into a corner and say, okay, this isn't the way the plot is going along. 
Now I got to figure out how is my person going to get this person arrested? The book is A War in Too Many Worlds. Sounds very similar to another book that we all know well by H.G. Wells. Our guest is Elizabeth Crowens. ElizabethCrowens.com is her website. And you are truly a Renaissance woman who has many influences. Uh, it was great to hear you say that film is at the center of that. And I've read elsewhere that your three heroes, the three greatest influences in that arena, are Stanley Kubrick, Star Wars, George Lucas, and Harry Potter. This is a very funny personal story that not too many people know. Uh, but I was almost locked in a movie theater overnight <laughs> with a friend uh, when I was 17. It was her first time that she had seen A Clockwork Orange. And it was my fifth time. And I'm surprised my parents even let me see this, you know, because there's a lot of sex and violence in this thing, right? To me, I didn't see it as that. I just fell in love with music and cinematography. It was just so overwhelmed and the set, the art direction, you know, and every, of the whole thing just kind of overrode the sex and the violence apparently for me. And I just knew that I was going to go to film school. I you know, no ifs, ands, or buts. I am going to work on films. You know, having seen this movie, it was just, it had so much impact on me. And, uh, and I, had, I hadn't even seen uh, Dr. Strangelove, you know, at that point. You know, I mean, I had only seen, um, I, I think, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, I think, was my very first Kubrick film. My friend, like 15 minutes before the end of the movie, she had to go to the bathroom. And I said, oh, come on, you know, we, you know, we were the underage kids, you know, we, we got some, you know, Boone's Farm, Strawberry Hill at the local 7-Eleven, right? Somebody over, over, you know, of age bought it for us. And we were both a little drunk. She had to go. And I said, no, no, you can't, you can't miss the ending. We wait to the end of the movie and it was the last movie of the evening. And we, had, we were not familiar with that movie theater. When we finally found the, the ladies' room, we're in the, the bathroom stall area and all of a sudden the lights go out and it's pitch black. And it's about two o'clock in the morning. And I, I, I told her, I said, uh, Amy, what kind of practical joke is this? And she said, I didn't do it. So it's like she she smoked and she lit a, you know, her big lighter or whatever. We figured it out how to get out of there because you couldn't see a damn thing. I mean, literally it was pitch black. Just as they were locking up the movie theater for the night. And we almost got locked in. And she said, you told me I had to, we had to wait to go to the bathroom. And I said, you had to see the end of the movie. Don't you remember? <laughs> Which, of course, she, she had to see the end of the movie. It was Stanley Kubrick, of course. It's a clockwork orange. But yes, uh, that was an incredibly influential movie. Um, all of his stuff still is. Do you visualize your books as films before you write them? My background is photography and cinematography. So when I am writing, I see it as a film scene. Elizabeth Crowens is our guest. The website, elizabethcrowens.com. She is back on Facebook, hacked. She's one of the popular ones. 
who became a target for somebody. And uh, so she had to rebuild from scratch. And that broke my heart because one of the things that is a regular part of my day is Elizabeth's Daily Caption Contest on Facebook. Tell us about that project and what it has spawned. I used to work, uh, years ago, I worked as a photo editor. And this was before I did stills for the movies. And actually, I got a lot of my background training for stills for the movie working as a photo editor because I managed an old Hollywood press agent's still collection. And a lot of these stills were from like the 20s and 30s and 40s. So I would be handling this stuff on daily, you know, these archives on a daily basis. And what was so funny is because I was kind of low ranking on the totem pole at this particular uh, place uh, where I worked is a lot of times I was the one who would be stuck doing the filing, you know, and if somebody borrowed, we had, for example, we would have people from Saturday Night Live come with us all, uh, contact us all the time. And Woody Allen's company would contact us and say, you know, we need pictures from street scenes of 1930s New York. Do you have images? Yeah, we do. So we pull them out. It was like a library. And we pull them out and they, you know, rent them and then they return them. And then, of course, once they return, it's like, you know, library. And somebody in the, somebody in the library has to reshelve the books. Well, I used to have to reshelve photos. And often, not only did they have like a code on the back, you know, like a Dewey Decimal System, but they had a caption. <laughs> and I would... I would sometimes get in trouble because it would take me longer than I was supposed to be doing. But the caption was so intriguing, I had to turn the picture over and say, what the hell is this supposed to be? And I remember one of my favorite images that they have at this particular place, the caption said, he eats worms. (laughs) And it's like, well, how could you not turn the picture over to see what he eats worms is all about? And it showed this, like, some kid from New Guinea or something wearing a loincloth, sitting cross-legged on the ground with a three-foot-long earthworm, and he's holding it like a strand of spaghetti, and he's his, his mouth. And it's like, oh, my God, this is hilarious. And there was another, we, we did a lot of historical, and why do I write this? Everything that I write is historical, but we had a huge historical archive. And believe it or not, um, there was an image of somebody, and I don't remember who the person was, but I swear um, it was the same person that Glenn Close portrayed eventually in a movie years later. But there was a very, another one of these caption things where you read it and said, I can read more on this. This is really intriguing. But it was about this wound doctor in the late uh, 19th century, early 20th century that posed as a man. And they did for years. Nobody knew it was a woman. And because very few, you know, all through medical school, I think, you know, they didn't allow women to, uh, to attend most medical schools. And she became a very prominent, very well-respected doctor in the community. And they only found out when she was in her 70s or 80s and got ill and had to go to the hospital. And they did an examination and realized, 
oh my God, <laughs> Dr. So-and-so is not a man. <laughs> and, and it showed like, I mean, I found photos of this real person and like clippings from magazine or, or newspaper articles were with these historical photos. And then, as I said, years later, I saw this thing that, um, that Glenn Close played, uh, I, I'm sure it was the same person, but, you know, did a movie, you know, based on this. And it was just so bizarre. But I would find crazy things like this. And ironically, um, our most um, popular images were the pearl white images. We would get like, um, Glamour magazine would say, we're doing an article on dry skin. And we're looking for those pictures of a woman going through the desert, water, water. I'm you know? <laughs> those were pearl white, you know. So we would, uh, you know, I, I would deal with these images all day long. And, uh, well, I just collect images because I use them as story props or, I, you know, and when I obviously when I write historical, because I also write mysteries and they're all historical, I collect tons of images of locations and dress and you know it just for story prompts uh, and also you know sometimes for accuracy you've got to be able to you know describe what a, an interior would look like or um what they wore or what their shoes looked like and uh i just had this enormous collection of like weird vintage photos floating around and then all of a sudden I just decided to post them once a day on Facebook caption contest give me your best or your worst and I was getting this amazing interaction from people you know and these are most of the people that I was connected with were either librarians or avid readers or professional I mean very successful sometimes New York's Times best-selling authors and they were responding. They loved them. And I just used that intuitive ability to be able to find these crazy images and get these great interactions from people on Facebook. So that's kind of how it started. But um, and then, of course, it all went away. I had some hackers, you know, dismantle my site and my accounts got deleted and uh I lost like about six months worth of responses, but I was um, creating a free ebook every month to everybody who subscribed to my uh, mailing list of best of the caption contest. And, you know, hopefully this meant that more people would subscribe to my newsletter. I mean, after all, it was free. And a lot of these, I did not have the rights to the images. So no, I cannot sell these on Amazon and make money, but I can certainly make, you know, put together an ebook and say, here, it's free. It's, you know, these are just what I, my posts that I had on Facebook. So I, as long as I'm not charging money for it, you know, there's, there isn't an issue. And, um, I, uh, lost about six months worth of archives, you know, when the hackers, uh, deleted my account, cause I can never, who has time to keep up with all this. But, uh, I did, when I finally got a new, uh, Facebook page up, I, I started up again and, Lo and behold, um, a, I found out about a grant, uh, an artist grant, uh, through, through, uh, through New York City. And uh, I pitched 
the idea because I've been a photographer for years and I had been thinking about doing like a coffee table book. Um, and uh, I pitched the idea based kind of on the photo prompts and the caption contest. And I got the grant and I wasn't expecting it. You know, at first I was like, this isn't real. <laughs> this is a joke. This is the hackers going after me. <laughs> but um, it, it was real. And uh, I am working with 10 other authors and uh, in, on an insane deadline and uh, producing it myself. Uh, and um, it's a photo illustrated anthology and it's called New York in your best or your worst. And it's using mostly my images. A uh, few people contributed some of their own, but um, you know, since I've lived in New York for over 30 years, um, obviously I have a lot of photography uh, that I was able to put into this thing. And it's turning out really nice. And it's gonna be out on uh, October 25th. That is soon. Oh my gosh. I mean, I found out I got the grant at the beginning of July. So uh, this is like an insane deadline and I've been working around the clock uh, trying to produce it. And uh, we will be having, uh, I'm hoping an in-person event uh, at the Mysterious Bookshop on the 25th. Uh, we're definitely gonna be doing a simultaneous Facebook Live event through the bookstore. And uh, it's, we've got Reed Farrell Coleman who wrote the introduction and uh, I went and gave invitations to some, a very interesting group of uh, authors that have contributed to the literary, literary legacy of New York. Um, so we've got a really nice mix of stuff and some cool photos. And uh, this will be a really nice, uh, hopefully, Christmas gift. Because <laughs> it will be out at, out at the end of October. And it's, it's going to be a really nice gift item. So... Uh, I'm really uh, excited about this. Elizabeth so. Crowens is our guest. And uh, not only is she a fantastic caption collector, she's also <laughs> a gifted photographer, a screenwriter, and the author of the Time Travel Professor series, the third book of which is due out shortly, A War in Too Many Worlds, an immersive tale where you get to meet up close and personal some of history's most famous characters from the Victorian era. What's next on your agenda, Elizabeth? I'm not a screenwriter anymore. Uh, so I am not, since I've been out of practice for a long time, my feeling is if we get that wonderful option, uh, I will be very happy to have a seasoned screenwriter with track record take over the project. I'll be very happy uh, to be an advisor you know, in the wings, you know, technical advisor, perhaps. Uh, but uh, what is next? Um, well, I finished a really wonderful 1940s Golden Age of Hollywood mystery at the end of April. And then all of a sudden, um, I was clearing for you know, a new agent. And then all of a sudden, I got my Facebook account hacked. So my whole life kind of you know, turn in a, in, in a direction that I wasn't expecting. And it literally like ate up a month of my life. And then as soon as I got out of that and reestablished the new Facebook account, that's when I um, 
got the grant. So, uh, you know, as soon as I can service for air and, uh, you know, the, and give the grant people their delivery requirements, which is obviously the book by that date, and it has to be a public event. Um, after that is all over, um, obviously, I'm very interested in this Holly, this 1940s new um, mystery series that I'm working on. So, um, yeah, I think that's going to be my next project, and hopefully I'll get an agent for, for the one I just finished. So The timing is certainly right with uh, that great... Hollywood film from the 1960s being such a hit with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, this one reminds me a little bit more of Mank, you know, from that time period, you know, cause it's, uh, you know, a uh, little closer to that time period and those type of people would be involved, you know, in, in the, uh, the series. So, uh, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to, I want to write again. <laughs> I've been so busy with, you know, I, I've, I felt like a um, kind of a, um, like a mama duck trying to corral her ducklings, you know. Uh, I, I've, ne- I've never like edited and coordinated an anthology before. So it was like a totally new experience. And uh, plus uh, I had to, you know, I'm checking quality control with my printer of photos and I'm doing stuff that I know how to do but I haven't done in a really long time so um it's um you know you, I did a deep dive you know and it's like the instruction manuals go over here <laughs> you know they stay on the shelf only if I need them other than that you know it's like go on the roller coaster and enjoy it and you'll you'll wind up okay <laughs> so Elizabeth Crowns is the winner of the 2020 Mystery Writers of America New York Leo B. Burstein Scholarship. Tell me about that. Uh, I uh, have an unpublished uh, Miss Hollywood Mystery. It's a different series than the, than the 1940s one uh, called Dear Mr. Hitchcock. And basically the logline of that one is uh, entertainment uh, journalist uh, Alice Langley uh, falls in love with a uh, man with a dubious cr- uh, criminal past and discovers that her life is turning into a mashup of Hitchcock movies. So I use a lot of my background, you know, of film history and everything in this. And of course, Hitchcock being one of my all time favorite uh, film directors. That's why when I mentioned before about Kubrick, there is going to be a Cuba boy <laughs> coming down the pipeline on this one. But, um, you know, I uh, submitted a, um, a port of the beginning. I, I think they asked me for the first 35, 50 pages or something of Dear Mr. Hitchcock on that one. And I said that I am working on some other Hollywood mysteries. And uh, I all of a sudden, you know, got the email saying, oh, you are one of the recipients of this uh, to help finance your, um, you know, research for the Hollywood Mysteries. So I was really excited about it. And uh, so in the last year, I've gotten, um, you know, both that, the scholarship and the grant um, 
so I, um, you know, I'm hoping to, uh, as I said, get an agent and a, and a very happy publisher to, uh, to work on uh, these two different mystery series that I'm working on. So let's take a trip forward in time. Five years from now, if all your dreams come true, how will you define success? Oh my God. Uh, film. <laughs> There'll be a, we'll get a, I think the, uh, the Dear Mr. Hitchcock uh, and, the, and the two uh, sequels that follow in that particular series would make, we'd be absolutely perfect for Netflix or um, Amazon Prime. And uh, the other one that I just finished, the 1940s, I think that could go either way. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, these days with the st streaming services, um, the budgets, I mean, they're, they're coming up with some pretty big budget films on these things. You would think that something that's not getting a theatrical release uh, would affect its budget, but um, it's really surprising. There are some pretty big budget uh, films that are going out on streaming services. So, um, I mean, this is how I think, you know, as I said, my background is, is screenwriting and cinematography. So I, when I write, I think along those lines. So yeah, that would be the ideal, you know, five years from now, if I could, if I could see myself either on television or film. So Elizabeth Crowens is the author of the mesmerizing time traveler professor series, silent Meridian, a pocket full of lodestones and her newest, a war in too many worlds. Her website is elizabethcrowens.com. She's also active on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Look for her collections of the best of her Facebook caption contest entries. Make sure that you follow her on Facebook so that you can enjoy and hopefully participate in the caption contest. I have to be on my A game, Elizabeth, when I'm, when I'm on that thing, because you have some amazing talent writing great captions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been fantastic to get to know you. It's been a lot of fun. Authors on the Air can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. We invite you to explore the many other podcasts that focus on the craft aggregated at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Our theme music was written by Pavlo Butorin. I'm Terry Shepard, and I'll see you in the next chapter.